0: respected is part of the reason why I still give my tour. Uh, If you can just bring Samir Asir back to life briefly and talk about how you met him and what that initial friendship was like before all the other stuff happened. Sure. Um, I met Samir Asir the first time uh, in
1: 1994 uh, we were at the Beirut Theatre, Masrach Beirut, that was one of the rare places uh, after the war uh, where we can uh, meet culture and uh, see lots of events. Uh, the theatre was managed at the time by Elias Khouri, uh, who tried in the post-war uh, to show that Beirut is... Uh, uh, once again, uh, uh, finding its way uh, in, in uh, culture uh, in relation to a uh, kind of critical culture, uh, opposed to the uh, uh, amnesia that uh, the political class imposed uh, as if the war. Almost didn't happen, and uh, without any critique to uh, uh, our uh, responsibilities. And, and
0: how, how old were you at this time? Were you? Were you
1: uh, I was 24. So you're
0: you're just out of university,
1: and sort absolutely. Of, yeah. yeah, I was out of university, uh, and uh, during that time I was still at the Lebanese Red Cross because uh, I joined the Red Cross during the war, and I stayed at the Red Cross in the post-war. But I, I was at the same time joining uh, the Lebanese Center for Policy Studies and through that center, I was uh, uh, meeting uh, researchers, academics, uh, uh, politicians, and we started a year later a campaign uh to create uh, what will become later the Lebanese Association for Democratic Elections, uh, aiming at monitoring the elections and writing reports on uh, the electoral culture and proposing reforms. Uh, then we moved into another campaign called Baladi, Baldati, Baladiati, uh, calling for the return of municipal elections. Uh, so, but
0: this is at a time Lebanon's just out of the civil war.
1: So. It's Exactly. It's just three years after the civil war, 94. Mm. And then all those campaigns happened in the 90s, where many citizens were trying to say that we can do something, that we should not accept uh, a culture of warlords and of uh, uh, corruption and of Syrian hegemony. Uh, so it was during that specific period that I met Samir in 94. He arrived, uh, to Beirut uh, a few months before. He returned from Paris. Uh, he was starting to write uh, his editorials in Annahar uh, newspaper. Uh, and um, I, I, I uh, enjoyed his company, enjoyed reading his articles. Uh, before we, uh, we, we met in many of those meetings and in, in those initiatives, uh, and at the same time a friendship started, but also uh, work together uh, that will later lead to the foundation of uh, a political movement. And before that, to signing together uh, lots of petitions and uh, participating in lots of meetings, uh, but
0: et mm-hmm. you, did you see yourself politically involved when you met Samir Asir or did he kind of throw you into that world? Like, yeah. were, were you already, because I'm, I'm guessing just after the civil mm. war, you'd be drained as well from everything that happened in the war. Was politics your, your ambition mm. then or is it his sort of influence that got you? Yeah, I, no. It was not my my
1: ambition. I was uh, I have always been uh, concerned with politics, interested in politics, and uh, uh, I already considered myself leftist uh, politically speaking. Uh, and of course, meeting Samir and meeting Elias, Huri, uh, and meeting many others uh, at the time. Uh, consolidated in a way my uh, political engagement and commitment uh, through writing, because uh, after that time I will start also contributing to the cultural supplement of Annahar that was uh, edited by Ilyas and in which Samir also published many articles. And only a year after, in '95, uh, Samir started his adventure uh, in uh, Lorient, Uh, Express uh, which was a very interesting experience because uh, he wanted to show that you can be secular and leftist and concerned with Arab questions and francophone and writing in French Uh, since uh, francophonie in Lebanon had in a way even if it's not uh, always true, uh, but had a certain connotation uh, related to the Christian bourgeoisie—a uh, bit conservative, a bit on the right wing, uh, a bit. Just, maybe just a bit stuffy. Like it's always, I mean,
0: (laughs) the world over, right?
1: (laughs) Unless you're a French speaker. (laughs) Yes, yes, true. So uh, Samir was a French speaker. And uh, in that sense, he wanted to show that you can write uh, thinking in Arabic and uh, concerned with Arab causes and writing in French. And L'Orient Express was was an excellent uh, experience that unfortunately did not uh,
0: last long. But we're lucky that a few years later, by 1999, you have... History of Beirut.
1: Absolutely. And then, of course, he published History of Beirut, which was uh, an exceptional uh, work. uh, uh, And uh, uh, during that time as well, I I also discovered uh, what kind of political commitments Samir had and how difficult for him Uh, it was uh, to be... uh, uh, At the same time, uh, he was incarnating... I don't want to say contradictions, not at all. He he was uh, in harmony with most of his positions, if not all of them. Uh, but Samir is from a Syrian mother yes. and a Palestinian father. Uh, he is Lebanese, born in Beirut, very much attached to Beirut as a city, uh, not as the capital of Lebanon only, but as a city with its historical role and historical cultures, etc. He was uh, uh, born as a Christian, uh, living in East Beirut, yes. while politically... Closer to West Beirut sure, yes. during the war, mm-hmm. uh, he was secular, uh, never into any confessional or sectarian uh, stances. Uh, but at the same time, understanding um, concerns and fears and uh, and political
0: uh, considerations for different uh, and it's uh, parties. It's rare to get that convergence in Lebanon. Exactly, right? you don't always have when you when you say a Syrian writer, it conjures up a certain sort of impo- uh, whether it's unfair or unfair. Same with Palestinians. Say with French. But then you have a Lebanese man who's all of the above. Exactly, and and writing in in
1: French, uh, being very much influenced by the French culture, uh, meeting uh, Farouk Mardambe, a Syrian intellectual in Paris, uh, uh, Elias Sambar, a Palestinian intellectual, uh, who both and especially Farouk will shape his will, will shape his culture, and uh, he will become more and more concerned with Arab Renaissance, with Arab democracy, with reforms while in Paris, and then returning to Beirut to write in French and in Arabic, and to be in a newspaper, An-Nahar, known for its liberal stances, with uh, uh, lots of uh, writers who are on the right wing, let's say, while he is a leftist. So he will always be confronted to diversity, uh, he will be always challenged and he will become a challenging writer for all those who will uh, read him uh, and in that sense he played a very important role uh, in the 90s and later from 2000 until 2005 plus in all the meetings and in all the events in which we were together uh, he he was also playing a very interesting and important
0: role uh, I think he broke down barriers and I don't think maybe I don't know if that was his intention but it definitely happened where he put the the respect journalists deserve really on the front page. I mean, he his loss was horrible in many different ways but that is a big component. Absolutely. He's not a just a politician or just a guy who has a view. He's a, an eloquent writer first and foremost. And also I think he uh it, even though it's not said enough but The fact that he is multiple identities, he also, in a way, can bridge the multiple identities of Beirut. I mean, you can be, like you said, you can be from the East and speak for the West. You can be from abroad, but speak at home. And uh, I I think uh, a lot of my generation owes gratitude to him and and others like him. And And, and he also contributed to... uh, um
1: to, to destroying uh, the, the wall of fear yeah. uh, in Beirut. Uh, it was not only a symbolic wall uh, under the uh, Syrian hegemony and with the security services. Uh, and uh, he wrote about uh, democracy in Syria yes. uh, and about the the independence of Lebanon, and that's the title of his book. Uh, so he felt concerned and he, he considered himself a partner in the Syrian struggle for democracy and uh, way before the Syrian revolution itself, and that's why his connection to Syrian intellectuals and to a certain Syrian uh, public opinion, uh, the the opposition one,
0: has been, uh, since the 90s, an important uh, connection. Aside from him being Syrian, do, do you think that he was seeing something other people didn't see? In the early 1990s that the fate of Lebanon is tied with the fate of Syria mm. was he a lone voice in, in your opinion back then or did you see that sort of gaining ground
1: Um, No, he he was one of the rare
0: voices, maybe not the
1: only one, but he was very consistent about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And being uh, Palestinian and Syrian and and Lebanese, uh, that uh, uh, for him uh, created, uh, since we were talking about the bridges, and uh, uh, for him the Palestinian question and the liberation of Palestine uh, goes in parallel with the independence of of Lebanon, uh, and especially with uh, democracy and uh, uh, with the end of uh, despotism uh, in Syria and in other places. Uh, You cannot talk about the liberation of Palestine with uh, Arab regimes uh, which oppress their people and uh, uh, in in places where you have hundreds of thousands of political prisoners. Uh, So the the, uh, question, the complementarity of democracy... Uh, dignity, liberation of Palestine, uh, or uh, independence of Lebanon, etc., were for him uh, causes that uh, cannot be separated the one from the, the other. Uh, meaning the struggle for democracy and for uh, Palestine and for Lebanon as Lebanese, they, they go together. And that was also
0: rare. You know what's e- what's equally rare is the bridging between journalism and academia. Also, yeah, because that's something you don't see people really succeeding. That it's either you're one or the other, you're either a researcher or you're an opinion artist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he he kind of found a way to be both at once. And and I that that thread is in his writing too, and it's in his. I mean, I I did not see him as a lecturer. I don't know him as a professor, but I can see that he did influence the way, at least some Lebanese saw their history intertwined with other things in the region. But I want to ask you about did, did he ever in, in the early years of that friendship did he see himself as becoming a, a symbol of true resistance against the Syrian regime? or Was he in that mindset when you, when you, in, in those initial years? Yes,
1: I think he, he wanted to uh, once again to, to end with this taboo of uh, mentioning the Syrian regime. And um, he was from the beginning... Uh, uh, he wanted to, to write about the Syrian question, so about the Syrian hegemony in Lebanon, but also about Syria, the yes. inside of Syria. But
0: what, so the the, the the years that it took to formally become a, a politician, I don't want to say that word yeah. too loosely here, because I don't think he was just... It's not a politician, no. but, he, but he was politically active. Did, did, why did it take a decade for that to to happen was it was it because the, he couldn't that the apparatus was more and more after 2000
1: especially mm-hmm. after the uh, liberation of south lebanon and the withdrawal of the israelis uh, in may 2000 uh, we felt that there is a possibility now to end with this chantage with this kind of uh, argument saying that the Syrian army's presence and the Syrian and services in Lebanon are there because of the Israeli occupation that argument was, was over and uh, the exercise political exercise of the 90s through intellectuals, meetings, uh, through work with students, also led to a certain political maturity in the sense that we all felt after 2000 that maybe it's now the moment to create a party or a movement or not to remain only in petitions and meetings and campaigns and citizens' initiatives, even though they are very uh, important. But we can uh, go further in in, uh, creating a movement uh, that can uh, be a modern one, not like the old political parties. We're not talking about a discipline and about the fact that we all have to read a statement and to follow uh, the, the guidance of that statement. We will remain individuals. We will have our independence. But we can
0: work on what is common between us. You know, it's interesting that that moment, May 2000, yeah. I think is that was the beginning of what was anticipated to be the end of Syria's influence in Lebanon politically its influence, and I'm talking about the regime. Yes. And I remember the late 1990s, I was living in the U.S. embassy. My father was the ambassador there. And I had... The Lebanese embassy of the U.S. The Lebanese embassy in the <laughs> U.S., yeah. Not the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the background noise then was that the Syrian regime was the most afraid of Israel's withdrawal from South Lebanon. And that uh, I don't think that point was, del- del- it was never described enough that that's their concern. It's justification. No, and if, without the justification, you begin to have voices emerge.
1: Many of the Syrian officials uh, said that this Israeli withdrawal is a, st- is a trap and we have to be aware that uh, they are hiding something. Plus, many of their allies in Lebanon. Uh, were uh, saying that uh, Israel withdrawal without uh, condition the way it was happening uh, also is uh, a risk and we should be aware that they are preparing for something else, it appears as if they don't want Israel to withdraw uh, because it will give them justification to remain in the country and to control and to to keep their hegemony and to keep using the the Israeli uh, occupation as a pretext to, to cover up on all their practices. So ending with that occupation opened uh, the way for uh, uh, many new gatherings, political gatherings to, to emerge. One of them was Qurnat uh, It was followed by Il minbar Demokrati or the Democratic Forum in which Samir uh, and I uh, plus Elias, uh, Khoury, plus uh, some uh, uh, people who left the Communist Party uh, also joined. Habib Sadiq an intellectual from South Lebanon uh, used to host us uh, in the uh, Cultural Council of the South. Uh, Asim Salam and many other people uh, uh, who were close to nasib Lahoud and others were also joining. Uh, so there was a moment where we thought we can do something, There's and a... that will lead later in 2004 to the creation of the Democratic Left
0: Movement. It's interesting that at roughly the same time you also have a, an attempt in Syria, the same sort of momentum, that the old transition. Of course, it's not what everyone hoped for, but that this father-to-son myth... Uh, would at least open the door to a resurgence. And of course you have the Damascus Spring and, and yeah. all that. So it's it is at the same time that the Syrian regime is feeling pressure on both sides, on Lebanese and Lebanese for what's happening in the south yes. and, and within Syria. Yeah. Do you trace a direct line from that moment to the events leading up to 2005 and then the string of assassinations? For sure. So, so it's a it was a paranoia from then that if we don't, we meaning of course the the Syrian regime, if we don't pursue this and chase it, it's the end of our presence in Lebanon and Syria. Yeah, I think it even started
1: in the after the mid '90s. And especially in '98 uh, or '97, or when Bashar, uh, through his preparation by his father after the death of his uh, brother, Basil, uh, was, was given the Lebanese dossier or the Lebanese file to manage it. And uh, at the time, he pushed for the uh, arrival of the chief of the army, Emile Lahoud, to power. And... Uh, he wanted to show that he will manage the Lebanese uh, situation differently. And, of course, Middle coming comes to power at the same time, too. So it's all really converging. Exactly. And and then we, we saw between 2098 and 2000 that uh, in Lebanon, uh, even for people like us who were opposed to, to Hariri and, and his economic policies, uh, but we saw that you can be opposed to Hariri without fearing an assassination or or being arrested. You will be opposed to to his economic policies, uh, to maybe the reconstruction plan that he implemented in Beirut, uh, to some practices, uh, to a political culture that he brought. uh, But uh, under Hariri, even if that was there, you couldn't fear... Uh, that they will arrest you because of an article or uh, you might be even assassinated. With the arrival of Lahoud and with the the way the new Syrian administration of Lebanon showed itself as as much more uh, oppressive and imposing censorship and contacting sometimes journalists, uh, you you start to understand uh, the the, the fact that the uh, relative
0: democracy in Lebanon is now more and more flattened and then with 2000 re- re- relative democracy what, what, what are you referring to now is this is the post relative democracy meaning the Syrian no, mm, I, I, I meant the Lebanese uh,
1: relative democracy in the sense that... Uh, the old power-sharing,
0: whatever yeah, you call it. the power-sharing
1: formula, the folklore of, of, the folklore. Uh, of some institutions. <laughs> yeah. No, and the fact that uh, you, you continue to write articles uh, opposing and criticizing, uh, and there were some margins of, uh, yes. of uh, freedoms in that sense, uh, not because the Syrians were tolerant about it, or because the Lebanese political class accepted mm-hmm. it, but because of a tradition in the yeah. country yeah. and because many of the politicians also wanted to preserve that tradition as long as it was not threatening them directly. Sure. While after '98, that tradition itself was threatened. Yeah. And as of 2000, with the Israeli withdrawal, and exactly as you mentioned, uh, with the uh, arrival of Bashar in Syria and the, the illusion that he might bring something new and fresh to the Syrian domestic scene, many Syrian intellectuals uh, issued uh, a statement about the end of the state of emergency, the liberation of political prisoners, uh, the return of all those who were in exile. Uh, they thought that through the uh, forums or political salons, as they call them, uh, they will bring back some, some energy to the uh, dead political scene in, in Syria or to, to revive it. And then most of them got arrested, while in Lebanon as well, it appeared that the regime was uh, ready to uh, to fight back. Uh, and uh, this is when the real struggle, uh, in my opinion, erupted, led to 2004, uh, took another, uh, let's say, dimension with the UN Resolution 1559, uh,
0: and then uh, the the struggle was opened. Can I just go back, though, briefly to those few, 2000 to 2004, can you describe what it was like to be with Samir Asir fighting regime from Beirut in print what what was what was the what were the conversations like mm-hmm. i mean what what was the posturing and what was the thought process that it was it his, did he see that this is his time to fight back and if he doesn't it'll just go to waste because was, i'd like to yeah. i want to know this the sort of the for better or worse the psychology of that experience because i know that you have the what would later be termed anti-syrian movement but that is a different story that's Hadidi's legacy in lebanon mm. who's not necessarily friendly to the whatever you want to call it a leftist uh, yes. intellectual class you have the syrian regime too so you're really alone yeah.
1: Um, just to, to say that uh, when uh, just an incident that happened to Samir is uh, his passport was confiscated at the, the airport. Lebanese or? The, the the, the, his the, Lebanese passport the, yes. was confiscated at the airport by the uh, Lebanese general uh, security, Surte General, Amn al-Aam. And uh, at the time... Uh, Uh, He was also uh, followed by by a car uh, regularly. This is 2001? Uh, 2001, 2001, exactly. And uh, Hariri at the time, uh, who was regularly criticized by Samir for his economic policies and for the reconstruction plan, uh, Solidaire, etc., contacted Samir and invited him and wanted to show that he's supporting him and protecting him in a way, right. um, so uh, so there's almost like a symbolic gesture. there. Symbolic that, you gesture, you know, uh, exactly, yeah. and uh, that was uh, um, th- that showed the difference in a way between Hariri and and the others uh, in terms of uh, uh, considering that you might be opposed to someone without threatening him. That that showed for because it was a very difficult moment between 98 and 2001 2002 mm-hmm. uh, the most of the opposition uh, people of the 90s yes. got divided with the election of Emil Im, Lahoud. Right. Some people supported him, considering that the the enemy is al Hariri. So let's consider that Lahoud might be an objective ally against Hariri some others went the way uh, the other way they said no Hariri is our ally now against Lahoud uh, because it's better uh, to be with a liberal model uh, even if you don't approve all his political and uh, economic measures rather than having the army or what what the army represents in terms of uh, arab experiences that we know and we were in the middle You're we right were in the middle yeah exactly we said <laughs> yeah. no we are definitely opposed to the uh, model that Emil lahoud is trying to impose on yes. the country uh, and we we definitely consider that hariri might become uh, a symbol of sovereignty in yeah. uh, confronting the Syrians but we are not going to be allies of Hariri because uh, we don't approve his his uh, the way he he managed the Lebanese yeah. situation so
0: did, did, did you see Rafi Hariri then as a potential anti-syrian figure
1: i cannot say we, we got closer to hariri but he signed he he sent sorry signs yeah. of uh, approval yeah. uh, of some of the statements or of the positions, uh, showing that he's open to uh, forms of alliance. And even he used to send uh, some of his advisors or members of his uh, parliamentary bloc uh, to meetings uh, to show that he's not that
0: far, but he cannot himself But that's him pronounce reaching it. out on his end. So yes. this was not a we're going to try to work with him. It was no. more that they wanted to have Exactly. Maybe your voice is on board. So it's Hariri's evolution, his e- political evolution. Exactly, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, um, between
1: 2002 and 2004, the 1559, and all what uh, was around it, and
0: the accusations... But it's important to say it, also in this period, Rafi Hariri was not prime minister no, either. He, so uh, he was a... Yeah, he, he was
1: on and off. No, he no. he
0: was uh, he was not prime minister between
1: nineteen ninety eight and two thousand. Yeah. Then he won the elections in September two thousand, became prime minister again, until, and then yeah. uh, until early two thousand and four, yes. uh, and around the issue of Lahoud uh, modifying the constitution, in fact, by the by the Syrians imposing that to keep Lahoud for three more years, uh, he was out, and uh, Karami be, became prime minister. So yeah. during that period of time. Uh, What was interesting in in Samir's positions and writings is this idea of uh, uh, pragmatism uh, that without compromising on on important positions, there are also some flexibility in, in alliances. And he wrote once about what would be the limits of the tolerance of alliances. Uh, from uh, even in an exercise from whom to whom we can uh, what politicians we can deal with and what politicians it will be extremely difficult to deal with. And in these private conversations was that
0: also talked about? Yes. We we have limited maneuvering space. Yes. So there was a reality of that this is a this is impossible on our own. We need to have
1: Yeah, yeah. We we were working on on, uh, two levels. One is that we can constitute a leftist movement. We can show that uh, we can reconcile leftism with democracy in Lebanon and the Arab world. Uh, We can uh, talk about uh, modern values. We can uh, show that uh, uh, leftism does not necessarily mean uh, being with... uh, uh, one cause or neglecting the issues of uh, uh, democracy, that social justice is definitely crucial and important, but also freedoms and individual freedoms as, as well as uh, uh, democracy in general are very important. How to uh, uh, form alliance between different generations, uh, students at the university and older generations who worked through the civil war, uh, our generation in the middle Uh, We wanted to do that on the one hand and on the other we wanted to be part of a larger alliance Mm -hmm. that could Fight for the independence of the country and end with the Syrian hegemony. And here, the balance of power uh, was, was of course, clear that we cannot do it alone. Uh, there were already some Christian groups doing it, whether the Aounists or the Lebanese forces. The Aounists in exile the and the Kataeb, exactly. The and,
0: and jail and, but, yeah, there, but,
1: but the youth of the Aounists and yes, the Lebanese yes. forces and the Kataeb were already involved in 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 activities and in uh, but, demonstrations. And those, of course, are not natural allies either. Because they're not they're, natural yeah, allies yeah. except in this. Struggle against the yeah. Syrian hegemony, but not when it comes to uh, social justice, yeah. ending with the confessional system or reforming it, uh, and in terms of uh, uh, the relationship with Arab causes. We were concerned with the Palestinian cause, with the Syrian democratic cause, yeah. etc. Uh, there is also the Hariri bloc,
0: yeah.
1: so uh, that we, we share with them this idea of sovereignty in Lebanon but we will uh, have completely different options when it comes to the economy and to the maybe to alliances as well Jumblatt uh, who was uh, on and off close and uh, sometimes taking some distances based on his considerations yeah. and the way he he was analyzing the situation but he also took some important uh, positions against the Syrian hegemony at the time uh, and uh, he was uh, uh, interested in what we were doing. So Nasib Lahoud, we mentioned him and, and many other peoples were uh, were not that far. I think
2: that Beirut, lost its role, or that Beirut, didn't in Beirut, I was in Beirut, Arab was in Beirut, one لا لا غير يعني هو التركيبة السياسية والوصاية السورية على لبنان في بعد نهاية الحرب هذا السبب منع بيروت من أن تكون عاصمة الإعلام الفضائي العربي كما كانت يوما عاصمة الصحافة العربية هذه مشكلة لا أعتقد أننا سنخرج منها بسرعة إلا إذا تفت الشروط التي سببتها وهي تحديدا الوصايه السورية وثانيا تراجع قيم الديمقراطية في لبنان مع النفوذ المتعازم لأجهزة الأمن والعسكر ولتغليب مفاهيم غريبة عن بيروت وقد تصبح غريبة عن دمشق أيضا تغليبها في السياسة العامة في لبنان طبعا بالإضافة إلى it's
0: really interesting that you're uh, you have on one, one end of the spectrum you have exiled uh, leadership whether it's Aoun and jaja so that's not state apparatus or that's not that is politics at the sort of the simplest level which is disgruntled voters who lost their leadership mm. and that's not something easy to work with on the other end, you have a shadow state which is a, uh, not a, shadow, a parallel state which is Hariri's maybe his biggest legacy is that because he was unable to really steer the Syrians away from Lebanon back then he developed his own sort of mm. side state that, yeah. that maybe delayed the sovereignty of Lebanon even more unintentionally And then you have your group, you have Samir Asir, and you have a, really a domestic grassroots, a a very gradual, painstaking momentum towards a political party in 2004. It's hard to find other examples like that. But this is, everyone, you can't really work with the state, and you're not going to turn against the state because that's all you have. So you're, you're one of the few truly independent voices back then. And uh, in two thousand and four, you set up the party. Well, what, what was your involvement in the party itself, in the in the uh, in two thousand
1: and four? Yeah, um, I was uh, the vice president. In fact, vice
0: of president. the of the so party. So Samir Asir is the sort of not. I mean, he's not the only face, but he's the most obvious one. No, he was the
1: spokesman Spokes- of the uh, yeah. of the movement.
0: Uh, uh, the movement
1: was uh, an attempt uh, at. ...at creating something new, let's say. Uh, So we had a group coming from the Communist Party. Mm. They left the party because first the party did not have a clear position... ...when it comes to the Syrian hegemony. And because they thought also that when it comes to reforming the Lebanese system... ...the old slogans about that reform uh, were not functioning. Uh, And there is a need to uh, renew the discourse about that. Plus, the democratic question should be at the center... Of the the identity, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why we called it the democratic left. Yeah. Uh, so this was a group. There were another group of students, university students. Some of them were in the Communist Party, and some were not. Were independent students in private universities and in the Lebanese University, and they participated throughout the '90s, in late '90s, in uh, uh, associations and campaigns for citizenship, etc. Plus, in the 2000s, uh, they even. Uh, organized some demonstrations with the Aounist and the Lebanese forces yeah. and create some bridges in that sense against the Syrian hegemony. So that was another group. And the third group came from uh, the civil society, the... Yeah. Uh, And we were uh, five or six coming from or at least considered as kind of intellectuals of that movement, writing in the press, uh, uh, being in research work. uh, So uh, Samir was, of course, uh, one of this smaller group and he contributed uh, to most of the discussions and uh, uh, he was very much... uh, Invested in that project and considered that if we succeed in the project it will be a pioneer one not only in Lebanon but in the region because there were very rare leftist movements that were uh, being founded in the, in the Arab world at the time. Uh, and 2004 was the right moment to, to declare uh, officially that we are there after two, two years of preparations and of writing documents and discussing them. Uh, and finally we we Went public, if I'm not wrong, in late October 2004.
0: And it's of course seven months, eight months later that Samir Asir is assassinated. In those months, November, December, January, before Rafi Hariri's assassination, what was the feeling like in that party? Yeah. Did, did you did you see that things were changing quickly? And I know that. Marwan Hamadi's attempted assassination happens in October if I'm not mistaken yes it was uh, exactly just around that date that we were founded yeah was there a momentum within the party that this is this is it now we we have to move forward
1: we we understood uh, in 2004 that we are going to uh, yeah. serious confrontation yeah. uh, at the time uh, we we signed a petition and we connected to Syrian intellectuals who signed a petition with us. uh, That was in August 2004. Uh, Lebanese Syrian intellectuals signed uh, about the independence of Lebanon and reforms in Syria, and that we considered ourselves...
0: it was always always on Samir Asir's mind that Syria and Lebanon are linked.
1: And and in Syria, there were lots of friends also involved in that, and in Lebanon as well. Then the uh, foundation of the movement... uh, I'm not sure if it was immediately after the attempt against Marwan Hamadi or before, uh, but it was at the same moment. And we knew that we are going into a hard time and that it is important now to uh, to show that we are... Uh, uh, challenging them, they are defiant, and uh, uh, we we organize lots of meetings in most of the regions, uh, with including in South Lebanon, uh, in the southern suburb of Beirut, uh, in areas that are considered as closed areas, sure. while while yeah. m- they're not really, because there were lots of members coming from those areas.
0: Was, so, so for you for your party, it wasn't Beirut was not necessarily the focus? No, it's, no, it's we we wanted
1: to be uh, all over, oh, and yeah. uh, and in fact. Uh, I think the a large part of the of the party or of the movement were from the regions yeah. even if the majority of the youth because of the universities and because of the centralized system were in Beirut but we were from different uh, areas in 2005 early 2005 just before the assassination of Hariri uh, we used in our discussions uh, to talk about the security question whether they will move into ...assassinations or whether uh, through the attempt against Marwan Hamadi they send the message. Yeah. And uh, so we were not uh, sure about it, but we knew that uh, there will be... Uh, Confrontation. Uh, definitely, and it, it might happen uh, in the elections... Yeah. Uh, that were supposedly taking place a few months later. It might happen in the street through demonstrations. Uh, and we were thinking already of uh, what kind of alliance uh, we could be in in order to, uh, uh, to confront the pro-Syrian regime camp. Uh, and we issued many statements, organized lots of conferences and meetings, uh, news, uh, covered many of our uh, events as well. And then the Hariri assassination that changed, of course, everything.
0: And those those last weeks also are maybe Rafiq Hariri's most anti-Syrian moments because, of course, he becomes an anti-Syrian figure after his assassination. But prior, it's still sort of trying. Yes, I mean, I mean trying, and he, he was
1: very cautious publicly. Yeah, not to, but but definitely he was already uh, and and people around him were already participating in sure. meetings yeah. opposed to the Syrian regime
0: i mean it was there was definitely a shift happening but it was a m- far more calculated yes. shift yeah. and i think he was also he was running for elections so his ambition at that time of course was to become prime minister once again but the his assassination looking back now do you can you see him as a very important figure in the anti-Syrian, anti-Assad narrative? Or is he still more of an economic concern? And and I, I ask this because his name still brings up a lot of different True. Uh, yeah. issues. And I, I don't know if it's... Maybe they all get lumped into something very messy. Mm. But to... That moment, the February 14th assassination, is that, in a way, the most central moment of the anti-Assad movement
1: in Lebanon? Yes and no. I I, I think it's inevitable that Hariri would have to confront the Syrian regime one day because even his economic project uh, cannot go along with a police state it's it's very difficult. Uh, he needed tourism. He needed cultural diversity. Uh, he needed business. Uh, and foreign
0: investors and all that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this
1: yeah. cannot <laughs> go with a, with a police state <laughs> yeah. and with the Syrian hegemony and with the way uh, Syrian officers were, were dealing with him and with other politicians. But at the same time, I think he was more concerned with his economic project and also due to to be honest, to his Saudi alliance, he had lots of limitations and couldn't always uh, cross uh, uh, so the even, line.
0: even with his assassination, a moment was not able to transcend enough?
1: No. no. And, and even uh, I can tell you that the funerals mm. uh, and the slogans that were prepared by by his people yeah. um, appeared as if he, he died in a, in a car accident. Huh? Uh yeah. I, I, I give you two two examples. Mm. The press conference immediately after his death, uh, uh, his two sons were not there yet. Uh, in the meeting, uh, there, there were a first draft statement that was written by Elias Atallah, who is one of uh, the left movement, and by uh, a representative from Nasib Lahoud's group from Ernest Chahwein. Uh, the uh, Jumbalat's uh, party, the Socialist Party, etc. A very strong statement. Then it went to the final meeting and it was diluted with no accusations and with yeah. just very cautious uh, wording. Jumblat and Ahmadi uh, made a very harsh uh, discourse about it. And then uh, it was changed once again to accuse the Syrian regime and Emil Lahoud. And uh, Sanyura approved it in a way and approved that Sad and uh Baha. And Baha, who just arrived, sit in the press conference while many were telling them not to sit in the conference. And I remember the journalists when, when the accusation was made against the Syrian regime and and the and Lahoud etc., uh, screamed Allahu Akbar and started applauding. So that moment showed that they were hesitating in the I mean inner circle
0: or around Hariri about the accusation at least publicly. But we can go maybe a step further and the protests that were springing up in Martyrs Square and other places were not they were not there no, they were not there at yeah. all and even in his funeral uh, they were
1: al-Shaheed, Rafi al Hariri al-Shaheed, Habib Allah uh, etc with no accusations against the Syrian our block
0: yeah.
1: we, we prepared already uh, lots of banners and uh, lots of uh, anti Syrian regime chants uh, from uh, some of them used to be used in the seventy six when the Syrian yeah. army entered Lebanon and when we arrived uh, into Mallah uh, Aisha Bakkar, and we were uh, chanting them. First, people were, were afraid and they were taking some distance from our block in the funeral. Yeah. But when they saw the reaction of people on the balconies who heard us uh, uh, mentioning Assad directly and Lahoud and the Syrian regime and talking about all assassinations from Jumblatt to Hariri, they started throwing flowers and rice on us. Yeah. Then blocks came, joined us, and the, uh, the, the, the uh, political funerals really started. And the pro-Syrian regime press, the second day, said that what happened in that demonstration, in that funeral, due to some groups mentioning us directly, uh, hurted the image of Beirut as an Arab capital, etc. So they, they uh, accused us of, of uh, causing that. But of course, after when the uh, pro hariri people and and the, the sunni public in general started joining the demonstrations in the martyr square uh, it gave it a different a completely different dimension and the crowds started to, to appear and it was
0: a, i mean a, a very odd alliance that worked and it's one of those rare moments yes. where you have the hariri side you have the old wait The the, the Christian
1: right-wing, all of them. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you have Aoun's... And and, Jumblat, and and the
1: independent, and secular people, and people who were not considering themselves under any uh, banner, or or, uh, all of them were
0: there. It was such a rare opportunity for everyone to just get it right. Um, And I say this from the most subjective viewpoint, and I still find myself struggling... To compare that moment to the pro Assad protests before and after March 14. Is there any justification in your mind at equating these types of protests? And yeah. it's not just a numbers game.
1: Yeah, no, of course. No, I think. Um March 8 uh, demonstration, in my opinion, was much more an internal message than one related to Assad himself. Uh, Nasrallah and Hezbollah uh, were the the most important bloc because if we're talking about the Assad puppets who were who were there, they wouldn't have uh, they they couldn't organize a large demonstration. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the Shiite bloc that went with Hezbollah and Amal, but especially Hezbollah, and they have two. Messages. The first one is that we will, in a way, replace Assad uh, in um, imposing the uh, foreign policy of the country, at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that our weapon, the uh, war and peace decision when it comes to Israel, will remain ours. We will not compromise on that. And the second message is related to the internal Lebanese formula, yeah. political formula, sectarian formula. A Taif agreement was an agreement in a way uh, similar to the 1943 pact, national pact. It was mainly a Sunni Maronite agreement. Uh, the prime minister got much more prerogatives in, in Taif, while in 43 he did not get uh, that much. While the Shia felt... In 43 and in Taif, uh, as if they are behind. Uh, so Berri tried. So, so that's in the background of that protest. Yes, yes. Uh, the background of, of the protest that uh, what we got under the Syrian hegemony is
0: that we will keep it. Yes, yes And yes. we will
1: defend it, and we will not accept a new formula. Uh, that will uh, bring us back to the uh, text of the Ta'if and to the pre-Ta'if system. So there was an internal one about the Shia place in the formula and the fact that they translated it later into a veto or into all forms of of, of having a say, uh, an important one. Plus, we will not discuss the weapon And when you say we don't want to discuss the weapon, it means security and foreign policy. So that was the message of Nasrallah. And in my opinion, it was much more important than only defending the Assad regime. Defending the Assad regime later, uh, especially after 2011 with the Syrian revolution, is an Iranian strategic decision. Uh, But for Hezbollah, they took the place of Assad after 2005, and they wanted to preserve what they already got
0: in the name of the Shia community. I actually think the spirit of March 14 uh, died with Samir Asir's death. And I say that because the, that unique convergence of, of ideas and, and identity and all that, mm. with his death and the fact that the security apparatus was able to chase down a journalist Right. And get away with it, and he was not the first journalist, of course. Then you have Shabran Twainy,
1: but yeah. that, that mm-hmm. I
0: think the the uh, the decency of the movement disappeared, and uh, it's it, it started to disappear with
1: many political mistakes that were committed uh, by by some. Uh, oh, the political mistakes are endless. No, no, I mean uh, not only p- political mistakes, uh, uh, but but the whole uh, the, the elections in okay. two thousand and five were. Uh, we're terrible when it comes to the uh, to, to March 14th uh, spirit and not all March 14th because also we cannot uh, we cannot. Uh, um, have only the romantic view of March 14th because there was something uh, very powerful in March 14th when it comes to this idea of citizenship, of, of a country that can be rebuilt, of uh, l- lots but, of well, potentials. But, but there was also the yeah. March 14th related to the balance of power, of, of confessions. And sure, of, but
0: what uh, you're pointing at the elections is the reconsolidation of Hezbollah.
1: And of the whole formula, and, uh, without, and, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, okay, the Syrians are out, yeah. uh, but now Hezbollah is going to replace, in a way, the Syrians uh, in, in some roles, let's say, yeah. uh, and then uh, dealing with Emile Lahoud, um, yeah. uh, helping on creating a victimization narrative, yes. and appearing as if he's uh, someone coming opposed to all tenors and no one wants him because he's a reformist, they, they they helped him doing that. Uh, plus, they sacrificed all uh, Shia independent voices who were opposed to Hezbollah and Amal because they preferred to deal with Hezbollah and Amal rather than dealing with Why do you think? And they sacrificed
0: th- most of the secular groups as yeah. well. well. So, the, let's, let's go the first. Why do you think that the independent Shia voices were marginalized?
1: Be, well, because uh, the uh, politicians, the heavyweight politicians... Are not interested about independent voices because if they are supporting, if they support independent voices in the Shia community, uh, well they would also have to accept independent voices in their own communities. So it's fear of within fear of within and uh, it's, a, it's a preference to deal with, with huge blocks mm. than with smaller ones uh, and it's also a pragmatic approach. Uh, related to the stability and to fearing Hezbollah's... Uh, it's
0: also a politically suicide, suicidal moment to get rid of those that were working on this for years and years and years yeah. against all odds. Yeah, absolutely, and I can add to that as well. Um, if you can give some
1: justifications to the necessity of finding compromises with Hezbollah and Amal, uh, they, are, uh, they have their legitimacy among the Shia. Uh, we are all keen on the civil peace. We need to find ways to dialogue and to, to have, uh, I mean, uh, common grounds. But with a clear agenda, not following their agenda and accepting all what they impose on the one hand. And second, if you do it with them, why uh, do you uh, do it with uh, Lahoud? Uh, in the formation of the government later instead of also trying to find a compromise with aun not to allow him to use a narrative that will bring many christians uh, to his side and you will weaken and fragilize your own independent christian allies those of Colonel jawan um, so many mistakes and, but, they, but those were and not, many business yeah. as usual not mistakes yeah. because they they uh, uh, that kind of political conduct also reflects what confessional blocks usually uh, up to in, in these kind of moments so um, I think many conjunctures led to the uh, decline of the March, March 14th momentum yeah. and then of course the assassinations yeah well that's something we'll, we're, we're, we'll, we'll definitely get into yeah. but
0: the I I mean I'm going to draw a I'm going to try to draw a parallel you have the secularists you have the leftists you have the common Iranian voice of dissent against the Shah and months later, you end up with political Islam and religious rule. And the secularists, of course, are cast aside, as are the Shah's supporters. In Lebanon, is this almost a strange parallel that you have secularists, you have leftists who want a different order. They're not necessarily chasing down a Shah-like figure, no. but they're trying to remove a structure. The structure shakes. It's not dislodged, it shakes. And the first to get cast away are the secularists. Yeah. And everyone else returns to the helm. So it's it's almost like a revolution that made it to stage one without uh-huh. without reaching the final stage, which may be stage ten. Yeah. And Samir Asir got us or people like him got us to stage one. Who who do you hold to account for not getting us beyond that? Can you can you point to specific parties and say that this is something that was not done? Or is it still a matter of the Syrian regime and Hezbollah are just too powerful. No, um,
1: at the time the Syrian regime was not that powerful. It was Hezbollah. Hezbollah was very powerful, and uh, uh, at the same time, uh, Hezbollah has an internal legitimacy, uh, and we had to deal with that. Uh, but if uh, uh, if we're talking about the secular groups they also have some responsibility because Mm -hmm. we tried and we did not succeed in uh, getting together all those who consider themselves progressive, secular, leftist or not who were in March 14th. Meaning that if uh, there, there are uh, clear blocks uh, related to al-Mustaqbal, uh, to al-Hizb al Lebanese forces, كتائب. those are blocks that have their uh, sectarian identity. Uh, we were together in the uh, opposition to the Syrian hegemony, but then they have their own uh, clientelism and uh, uh, calculations and all what you want. But you have people Individuals with symbolic capital and who had some influence on the public opinion, who were not belonging to any of those blocs, yeah. uh, from the yeah. kitle from Tajadud Democratic Nasib Lahoud, of course the independent of Korne who were very, uh, who, who played a very important role in in putting together this whole uh, March 14, uh, the democratic left. Uh, many other groups and then some some people coming uh, from other experiences like George Howie and, yes. and his, his uh, supporters in the Communist Party. If we, uh, uh, and of course Habib Sadiq and, and other people as well, if we manage to create a poll, a, a, a kind of a, a forum, a movement, yes. an alliance, gathering yeah. all those people yeah. and negotiating with all blocs, uh, saying that we Progressive secular reformists. We do have our uh, agenda, and we want to deal with you based on that agenda. Maybe the balance of power uh, could have been modified a bit. Uh, I'm not sure. If, modified a bit. Yeah, but that's not a that's no. not a dramatic change. I, right? I'm that's, not sure it, yeah. it could have uh, led to dramatic change because we always underestimate. Yeah. The uh, power of the Lebanese system and the same Lebanese formula, this consociational democracy, as we call it.
0: i we um, very proud of. <laughs> uh, which some are very proud of, let's say. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that is the one thing that has survived. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is It has this
1: capacity of surviving yes. and of trapping uh, all political movements within its limits uh, and at the same time. It is a very rigid formula. Yeah. You cannot reform it. And you are trapped into uh, its implications and, and the consequences of, of being part of it since 26, 1926,
0: even before the independence of the country. You know, you know these American politicians who always, uh, the, the more right-wing you get, the more conservative, the more constitutionalist, right? And they always, yeah. whatever is written in the Constitution is God's word almost. I think we have the same complex to power-sharing of... 1920s and 1930s. Yeah. Except that
1: of- um, many things change since because the power f- sharing formula or the consociation democracy is not meant to be with militant elites. Right. It's about elites who accept always compromises to avoid conflicts. Yes. Yeah, yeah. uh, it was much more related to a certain uh, cleavage between Muslims and Christians yeah. and in order to find uh, a government having both of them. Yeah. Uh, now you have much more Sunni-Shia divisions and you have Christians divided among uh, those two camps. So many things changed after 43, uh, yeah. yeah. uh, and still we are applying it. Uh, plus we took the veto argument uh, from it while the veto has its conditions and cannot be used uh, at any moment. Uh, And uh, you have today one group, Hezbollah, that can impose most of the things with with its allies. Uh, And the others are not into the consociation uh, philosophy anymore. Uh, But still it's difficult to change it. And many of the political elites that we always criticize uh, do have their popular legitimacy. And clientelism in the system is very powerful, yeah. uh, and uh, clientelism also uh, makes it extremely difficult for reformist movement to, to create breakthroughs and, and to, to move uh, forward in, in their uh, platforms. So, so, you're,
0: so you're stuck with a structure that's too appealing to the traditional political class, yeah. and it's given a lifeline, and it's preserved. By and the, it's preserved by it's clientelism. Preserved. Yeah. Uh, uh, and now it's even more needed
1: when there are economic crises and right. when many, yeah. many political uh, leaders do not have uh, foreign or other uh, sources of income to distribute. They will need the state even more yeah. in order to place uh, their,
0: their, their their people in their administrations. And, uh, but going back to the word spirit, the March 14th spirit, I think is that... I think it's the ushering in of something new. Yeah. And I don't think, it's, an, it's really an accident that Hadidi is associated with it, and it's an accident that uh, maybe it happened at that moment. It was an opportunity, opportunity to go back in time. Yeah. And it's that time travel. Yes, yes. <laughs> in a sense, in a sense. In a sense. And maybe, I mean, I, w- I would say it ended by June, maybe it ended a few months after, maybe it ended earlier but the spirit i think uh, withered once that once those voices disappeared and i want to now touch on the assassinations
2: لم تنزل الى الشارع بالتغيير نزلت الى الشارع لتنهي وحكم المخابرات في موضوع الحريري انا كنت ان حجمهم اقل كنا نتصور سقط بعد الانسحاب السوري ولكن بقي هناك لديه على التخريب وهو لا يزال يمارس قدرته على التخريب ولا او لا يزال
0: The first assassination after Rafic Haridi's death is Samir <mucho> Asir in June Vietnamese- 2nd good- 2005 I was actually in reading a book about Beirut when it happened. So I was meters away from it. And uh, it took maybe, I don't know, it took about maybe an hour or so before it became public that this was Samir Asiyah. But in, where, where were you when he was killed? Well, I was at
1: home. Um, home in Beirut. In Beirut, yes. Yeah. Uh, Batraki area. Um, I started receiving calls about him. I didn't know uh, what happened, so I called him and I got his uh, voice, uh, the, the answering. I mean, uh, so I left him message, yeah. telling him please call me whenever you can. Then I called again, telling him that they told me uh, an explosion happened. Uh, go ahead and tell me what uh, what's going on. And then we turned on the TV and I saw the the news. So it was one of the worst. I mean. Uh, Moments uh, that one can can witness, um, yeah. And I, and I wrote about this idea of, of calling someone and leaving him a message while he's already gone, and he was just uh, uh, leaning on his uh, uh, yeah in the in the car. And uh, this whole idea of talking to someone who uh, who is already killed, uh, uh, hoping that he will. Uh, I mean call you back and the, the relation anyway with the number uh, sometimes you try to to dial the same number so yeah it was a terrible moment and i think after it uh, for me and for many other people life in beirut was was not the same anymore it was uh, something else you cannot uh, your relation with the city and with public life in general will will never be the same after this kind of uh, of events, and I know that uh, uh, you, you know you know that uh, I end, maybe more than I do.
0: Well, I I, I, I end the tour mm. with his words. April 26, 2005, the Syrian army is leaving Lebanon, and he ends his article with عَدُوَ الْشَّيْرَةِ أَيُّهَا الرِّفَاقُ and I try to translate this to thousands mm. of people over the last decade trying to ex- me trying to explain exactly what was meant by that quote and it's not a simple quote it's mm-hmm. layered in history and i think it's the best it's it's exactly how he used to write eloquent deep and symbolism is there sometimes escaping censorship yep. or sometimes letting you dissect yourself and i want to get your reflection on that quote because he that's just two months yeah. less than two months
1: yeah
0: i do uh, returned to the street i mean i know by that it's post march 14 2005 the syrian army is now beginning to leave the momentum of the all that build up to march 14 is now beginning to decline in his mind is it go back to martyrs square in other words the job is not over yeah well, can you help explain that
1: yes um uh, the only problem about this is that it kept being used regularly while today, uh, I mean, it, it has a specific context in which it has lots of meaning, is that while the Syrian army was leaving, business as usual in politics was uh, taking over once again and, and gaining control of the uh, Lebanese public uh, sphere. Yeah. So uh, this idea of clarity, this idea of return to the street where uh, due to that uh, street and due to their to your presence in that street and due to the unity and maybe to the myth or to the real project that we wanted to elaborate together in the street we reached april 26 and we reached this political victory so don't let this go exactly yeah. don't let this go and yeah. don't accept yeah. that what we deplored as energy in the street and as courage in the street Will finally lead to uh, political deals and compromises that will end with most of our ambitions. So return to the street to see clearly what you want and to define
0: clearly what you want. Exactly. So that, that was exactly the, yeah. the message. So go back to Martyrs Square because your voice is needed now. Yeah. Especially now that the Syrian army is leaving. And that we uh, need to now go and fix the Lebanese state. Exactly.
1: That uh, if we consider that our Only priority until that date was the departure of the Syrian army and the independence, the real independence of Lebanon. Now, our uh, uh, new priority and ultimate priority would be the construction of a Lebanese modern, fair, State based on the respect of law, freedoms, democracy, social justice, and all the ideas that we were defending. So now is our uh, serious work. Exactly, mm-hmm. the hard work is beginning today. And 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 the the most of the political elite will not be our ally anymore yes. in that second
0: uh, exactly. phase. So he almost foresaw it. He knew that this is going back to the old ways. Yes, Very yes, true. Sure. It was clear that it was going to. You heard a I like this. Because it can bring two people on your side It can bring your fellow leftists It can bring your comrade But if you're not a leftist It can just mean your friend Of course, I mean, you come it's as a, a very beautiful term And it's a, it's th- that dual meaning works Because it's not just about One group showing no. up no. Dear friends, dear comrades It's a very wise play on words Ta'udu hmm. el I think says it all Because clarity is just the beginning. I think everything that he was talking about—an independent state, independence 2005, the term he coined—and then the natural evolution of that is sovereignty. Yeah. So you return to the streets, you return to Martyrs Square, you bring the comrades to revolt, not just anti-Syrian protests, a revolt. Yeah. And then you'll re- you'll retain you'll achieve sovereignty once more. Ta'oudu. It's almost like it's it it can happen again. Yeah. Sovereignty is possible once again And and for me
1: uh, it's not a coincidence That the first Assassination after uh, The the March uh, 14th yes. uh, And of course after Rafiq Hariri Is Samir and the second assassination Is George Hawi yes. Who was not uh, a Part of, of the March 14 uh, uh, Preparations or event But who uh, Saw the importance Of uh, working now and of creating a larger leftist group uh, that will promote the ideas of reforms uh, and that would uh, protect uh, the uh, the work that we were doing and who, were prepa- who, who was preparing as well to, to, to have his influence uh, on a large part of the uh, communist party members and former communist party members who were still hesitant about uh, joining uh, a new leftist movement or not and he was immediately targeted after that to kill this possibility of having something uh, that is not under the control of sectarian politics, sectarian leaders, uh, something fresh something uh, capable of uh, saying that we have the legitimacy of uh, the resistance against Israel, we have the legitimacy of uh, the resistance Against the Syrian regime, and we carry a project, a modernization project for the state of Lebanon and for uh, social justice. Uh, Killing those two and putting us all after that under threat and under pressure uh, paralyzed us, and in a way, it was over. We we couldn't, we, we did not survive the assassination of Samir and then the assassination yeah. of George. These are, these are the independent we, voices. That yeah, were, we yeah. felt that um, yeah, it, was, it was impossible to continue.
0: As much as you'd like to, I, I want to know what your life was like after Samir Asir's death. And I know that today you're living in Paris. So, and it's maybe, I mean, maybe not much has changed. But in, in, the, in the immediate aftermath, your relationship to Beirut, I know that that changed. And your are your belief in what everything that you worked towards was shattered. How long was it before you decided that I need to leave? Mm. Well, I, I usually don't
1: speak about my, uh, myself, but I will uh, uh, say briefly, uh, after the assassination of Samir, and especially after the assassination of George, of, of George, when it appeared that we were targeted also mm-hmm. as, as a group, uh, starting with those two but it might continue uh, we got lots of uh, advisors uh, from Feral Al Malumat and from some people in Beirut uh, to uh, be aware that we might be targeted uh, so I spent some time underground in Beirut itself uh, we, we left the apartment I abandoned my car uh, and I stayed almost a year uh, oh you stayed one year Fine. on and off I okay. mean until yeah. me uh early 2006, uh, when it appeared clear that I'm, I'm going to move here, first my family moved to Paris, uh, and then I joined them. I used to visit them uh, meanwhile, but then in 2006, I decided to come and, and to stay here. I thought that I can remain uh, active from Paris, and I tried to remain active through articles and through some forums that we had, and I kept returning to Beirut uh, three, four times a year after 2006 uh, to do meetings and, and lectures in and interviews crimes
0: are assassinations so those are the years where you have almost every two three months another assassination there's plenty of attempted assassinations too so there's a decade of repeated targeted killings was there any point that you said that this is too risky and I'll never come back no no, no I, I always knew that it was risky and I
1: always uh, took some precautions and I was lucky to have uh, devoted comrades and friends who helped me a lot and uh, offered me all kinds of, of support uh, including places where I uh, was able to stay when each time I was there. Uh, But uh, I I didn't want to to surrender to fear neither. So uh, I I know that uh, being in Paris uh, was for me... I mean, I I had the privilege of being able to be in Paris uh, and I'm working here now. uh, And since 2011, um, I I felt very much concerned and very much uh, attached to the Syrian revolution because in it I see uh, uh, maybe the most important event that can happen in the Arab world. Uh, Unfortunately, once again, this is a tragic uh, situation. It's an orphaned revolution. And uh, since that time, uh, as you know, hundreds of thousands of Syrians uh, got killed. Uh, Millions were between uh, refugees, became refugees or internally displaced. Uh, And the uh, tragedy of the Syrian people Uh, for me, is also uh, a a personal tragedy because it is related to the assassination of Samir, to all what happened in Lebanon, and it shows once again how important it is uh, to support the Syrian revolution. And again, it's not a coincidence that uh, some Lebanese, especially Hezbollah, went to Syria and fought to support the regime. Uh, So uh, in Syria today, many of our uh, uh, hopes and uh, many of what we thought would be uh, a new start are being assassinated, this time uh, by the uh, Russian intervention, the Iranian intervention, and by the international, uh, I don't want to say complicity, but incapacity to act. And Syria showed the limit of the international law, uh, and uh, it showed also that uh, impunity is the worst thing that happened to our region uh, impunity of all killers and assassinators because uh, it has always offered them the possibility of continuing in in their uh, uh, killing uh, measures and, and and procedures without fearing the
0: consequences you, uh, you came to paris as a phd student years earlier and now you're a professor you're teaching this for a living in your classroom in your now your hundreds maybe thousands of students have worked with you do you uh, do you see that this is a subject an issue that is very straightforward and easy to explain or do you get resistance among academics and students when it comes to criticizing the regime mm. and i ask you because in my own academic yeah. experience i find it extremely difficult very very difficult mm-hmm. to to counter yeah the Syrian regime's narrative. Mm-hmm. Do you find it here the same same issue applies? Mm. Uh,
1: well, um, in in France, uh, the mo- most of the uh, academics who are uh, who, who wrote a lot about Syria and who spent time in Syria are anti Assad regime. It's a tradition, uh, and
0: those this who because are because this is a city that attracted those. People over time or is that uh,
1: no th- there is um, uh, in, in France among the community of researchers and academics who worked on Syria the overwhelming majority is very much opposed to the Syrian regime uh, and uh, uh, they all have in mind people like Michel Sora. Uh, who lived in Lebanon and Syria mm. and was mm. kidnapped and then was 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 killed while kidnapped and yeah. uh, his body was only uh, allowed to return to France in 2006 while he died in, in 1986 uh, and he wrote his famous book uh, in French "L'état de barbarie" uh, the barbaric state uh, so uh, and it was probably one of the most important academic work on the Syrian regime itself uh, and the most. Well known academics on Syria are anti regime. However, is that true? The most well known here, here, oh, yes. here in France. Yeah, in yeah, France. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. However, uh, there are some people who are with the Syrian regime, uh, and there are lots of journalists who are, especially in the audiovisual visual uh, media, yes. uh, who are with the regime. Um, there are few uh, in the uh, magazines and, and written press with the regime as well, but there are also lots of anti-Syrian regime in the press, which is something very good and very serious. uh, Journalists do cover Syria in a uh, correct way, at least in the important uh, daily newspapers. However, uh, there are tendencies in general uh, among politicians here, whether on the uh, left wing or the right wing and the extreme right wing, to either... In the left wing, talk about geostrategic issues and about Russia, uh, oil, uh, conspiracies, etc., and not to see the Syrian society itself, but uh, to dilute the Syrian question into larger geostrategic considerations, and that lead to the support of the regime yes, in a way. And,
0: but you're, you're in Paris at a time where there were many attacks here. You were yeah, and,
1: and then you have the right-wing and the uh, far-right that are with the Syrian regime publicly yeah. for two reasons. They consider that it protects the minorities, right. uh, the Christian minorities. And second, because they consider that the, op- the opposition to the regime is an Islamist. And they use the argument that the same who attacked us in Paris Uh, are those who are fighting the regime so we have to support the regime plus all of them are pro putin
0: and (laughs) uh, so so, uh, there's, uh, there's a reluctance to look at the consequences of that regime's survivability and that it ushers in far graver concerns yeah. and you're going to end up with attacks here because that regime is still around. Exactly. Yeah. And you have also Islamophobia that and is, uh, it is there. True. You yeah. have
1: the conspiracy theory and you have those who will displace the question to tell you about Saudi Arabia and will evoke Qatar and will talk about the CIA. You
0: know, all those kind of of rhetorics. Your political, that, your political life in Lebanon, has it reached France? Do you have... A, is politics part of your... Day to day yeah, yeah. life here. It is, it is, is, but uh, but mainly related today to Syria and to the Palestinian cause. And are you able to dissuade those voices? Uh,
1: yeah, in a way, yeah. uh, there yeah. are there are possibilities to oppose those voices, to deconstruct their arguments, yeah. uh, to show the other narrative. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you have also in uh, uh, in France today. Uh, some possibilities to, uh, to have an influence on uh, politicians on uh, because of the democratic system, etc. But it is a difficult task, especially that the conspiracy theory and Islamophobia are on the rise. Uh, and uh, you have to to deal with all that. And in the academic life, those who are not concerned with Syria, there is a tendency in all uh, academic, I mean, circles around uh, the world, not yeah. only here, yeah. is uh, wh- what we say that you put gloves while you you yeah. you, you talk, <laughs> and you need to show that you are neutral and yeah. uh, that you are. Well, I, I do tell them that I have no respect for neutrality when it comes to human rights, to international law, and to crimes against humanity. Uh, Being neutral uh, is more being coward, more than being anything else. However, you can be objective, uh, you can be critical, uh, you can keep the distance, uh, you can uh, teach the students that they need to read and they need to experience themselves and they need to do some some field uh, work and to do interviews and not to... Uh, start with uh, a certain uh, a priori, as we, we, we say in French, but being neutral towards barbaric regimes has nothing to do with academic uh, integrity. It is much more about being uh, incapable of, of uh, uh, taking a stance with the victim and, and supporting a decent cause, etc. There is a need uh, to... Uh, to explain that normalization with the regime Would mean normalization with war crimes With crimes against humanity And would mean encouraging nihilism And encouraging all kinds of, of violence uh, by, by saying that you can kill half a million people And you can displace uh, millions of people You can torture to death tens of thousands of people And then nothing would happen to you So it is extremely important And that's what I think is the priority today Is to end with the impunity of that regime and with the impunity of all those who committed war crimes and crimes against humanity. Uh, Otherwise, it's a vicious circle and we'll always have uh, groups like Daesh will emerge uh, because uh, when you tell people that you are abandoned to violence and nothing would happen to those who killed you, because of real politics and because of different considerations, you invite many groups to say that we are those who will respond to all that injustice. But it's, it's
0: very difficult to also explain that this is an equally important lifeline for the regime. You just, you remove those groups from operating, whether it's in Syria or Iraq, those regimes have really difficult, difficult time justifying what they're doing. I mean, this is yeah. the... This is a, an easy justification. And, it's, and you know, they used it a lot, in fact. And they still use it, yeah. 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 So we have two moments now. the March, Build up to March 14, 2005 in Lebanon, which ushered in something devastating to Lebanon. And we had the 2011 Syrian uprising, which has ushered in a very heavy price for Syria. Someone like you, who has seen your life's work end in this kind of misery, do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? Mm. You do. Yeah. Is it because of words like Samir Asir's words? Is it because of people you know? What is it? What is the light that you sort of... No, It's because of people I know. It's because of friends who
1: keep working. It's because of the potential that is still there. Uh, I don't know if it will happen if we'll see that light in our life. Yeah. Uh, maybe in the one of our children. But uh, uh, there is a huge potential uh, and there are lots of efforts and lots of sacrifices and that should one day uh, modify things it's impossible to i mean to keep all those people oppressed forever yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does not mean that I'm very optimistic for for uh, I mean for the coming years or f- even for the coming decades. There are lots of handicaps in our societies. There are lots of problems. International relations are becoming more and more complicated. The whole world is getting crazy. I mean, uh, from Putin to Trump uh, to Orbán uh, to the far right that is rising to the Brazilian uh, new president. To uh, there is something in in the world of today. Uh, that is uh, that is forgetting the uh, sacrifices that led to the Declaration of Human Rights, to the Geneva Conventions, um, the fear of the others, the racism, uh, xenophobia. Uh, you, you have a world that is losing lots of its uh, ethical uh, guidance or of, of, of principles, but at the same time, there are lots of resistant uh, networks and groups and, and figures. And that's why you always see people who are working. Uh, and, and you say there are still lots of energy there. And one day, it will lead to a change.
0: One thing I know for certain, you're carrying his legacy well. You're still a bridge between academia and journalism. And you're doing both with, uh, with, uh, with vigor. and um, Thank you. E- even though... Uh, a lot of tragedies happened i think the moment we lose voices like yours as well the we have to push the goalpost too far so you 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 are the maybe one of the few voices that is consistent and uh thank you i thank you for that my father was an independent figure despite all the opinions uh, that could emerge from that camp he was on his own i know and uh i know that very well yeah, yeah. and his words i think may not have been written with the same, uh, the same touch that Samir, and he was, my father was not a journalist, uh, but he was a free thinker, and they came to the same conclusions, that Lebanon's fate is tied with Syria, and any sovereignty that Lebanon can hope for means one day the Syrian regime will have to fall. Definitely. And I think common cause, and I, uh, yeah. I thank you for your time, Ziad. Thank you so much, Robin. Thank you. Thank you. best way to remember Samir Asir is to read his book, Beirut, a 600-page story he left us with, a book that reflects on the cycle Beirut cannot break, a city that's torn between wealth and despair, between stability and instability, a city that's extraordinary in its prosperity and extroverted in its decay. Get the book. Between the assassinations that took Samir Asir and Rafi Hariri, there's another prominent Lebanese figure who died. Basil Fleihan, seated next to Rafi Hariri in his convoy on February 14, 2005. A former Minister of Economy and an advisor to Rafi Hariri, and a very decent human being. I was fortunate to know him when I was younger, and he was a dear family friend. Basil Flehan survived the attack, but ultimately passed away in April of 2005. Most of his body burned. My next episode will be in Switzerland, on Lake Geneva, reflecting on Basil Flehan's personal story and his career, with his wife, Yasma Flehan. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.